Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Thanks for joining me again for this episode of the Out of the Question podcast. Today, I am joined by Kay Rubicek, who is a documentarian and author. She has extensively researched human rights abuse under communist regimes with a decade-long focus on abuses by the world's largest remaining Communist Party regime in power today in China. Her current investigations are on the long-term social effects of Marxist culture. Kay, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So today I'm going to focus on a lot of the work you've done, but primarily a book that was recently published entitled, Who Are China's Walking Dead? And the promo for your book says that it serves as a warning to citizens of the free world of what could become of us if we fail to understand the operations and culture of a Marxist state. So in fact, what you're saying is we could become the walking dead. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes, that was the conclusion I came to, and it wasn't a conclusion that I wanted to come to, but that's unfortunately where I landed. Well, strong medicine is meant to fix things that aren't right. And I would have to say both your book and your documentaries are strong medicine. As a matter of fact, as I was listening to the book, because I did it audio version, I was telling my husband about it. And then he said, well, what book should I listen to next? I said, you should listen to the book I'm telling you about. He says, but you already told me about it. I said, you should listen to the book. Well, he's in the midst of the book. And he said, you were so right. You couldn't have described it better than she described it. So I do think that people should either read it or listen to it to have their eyes opened for things that um, they may have chosen to be unaware of. But before we get into the book, I'd like you to answer the question, why does all this matter to you? To me personally? Yes. Ooh, you know, I, I, so often I'm asked about why, why should this matter to me? Why should this matter to Americans? Why does this matter to me personally? It's because, you know, I'm a mother now. I've got two children and um, teenage children and, and I want them to have a place where they can find freedom in the way that my family was able to find freedom because they escaped communism. My family escaped communism from three countries over three generations, first in Russia in the 1920s and then in China in the 1950s. Uh, where my father was was born and raised with his siblings in China because they, his family had had to escape um, Soviet communism in Russia. Then when they went to China, that was prior to the Communist Party coming in there, but they, they had to escape once the Communist Party came in. There was famine, there was death, there was murder, there was political persecution, all those things that come along with that sort of totalitarianism. And my husband's family also escaped communism under... Um, the Soviet communism in the former Czechoslovakia before the Berlin Wall fell. And, you know, I've seen that my family was so fortunate to have a place of freedom that they could escape to in, 
in my case, my family all, all went to Australia. Um, but, you know, Australia's got its issues now as well. And most countries are really falling prey to this ideology, this communist ideology. You can call it, there's so many different names for it. But basically, I want to make sure that there is a place for my children to go to in the future. Right now, I see America's um, still is the freedom standard and, and, and capital of the world. And I really value that so much more since I've moved here because I really didn't understand it um, so well before. So that's my long answer to that question because I, I, I want that freedom for my, for my kids. My family were lucky. They had a few, few options. There's not many options where people can run to these days uh, from tyranny. But also... It's there. There is a weight that comes. I, I find when you have, when when you become aware of certain crimes and the crimes that I've been uncovering are really. Uh, I, I I mean I cannot think of worse crimes in history than some of the ones that I've documented in my documentaries, and uh, and and there is a weight to that. But there's also a, a responsibility, and I feel like if I, you, you know, after Nazi Germany, the camps eventually opened up. And people ask the questions, the grandchildren ask the questions, what did you do at that time? Did you know? And I, I feel like, you know, one day my grand, grandkids may ask uh, because the, the camps will eventually open up. I really believe that in China and other places. And, and the, the truth will eventually come out over time. And people will say, you, did you know? And, and what did you do? So I, I feel a responsibility there to be able to answer that question to my children and grandchildren in the future and say, well, I tried, I tried. Yes. So that's, that's my answer. <laughs> and, and that's a very biblical answer in as much as to whom much is given, much is required. So God is the one who led your family to be able to go from being under a tyrannical regime to greater freedom. And I think one of the problems with modern American, especially people in what we would call the boomer generation and subsequent is that we haven't really experienced war on our homeland. And it's very easy to become complacent and figure it's no big deal if it's not happening to me. But your family has a heritage of recognizing the problem and wanting to do something about it. And so I think you would probably say, I haven't heard you say it anyplace else, but I think you would say you can't do otherwise than expose these deeds of darkness. Oh, you said it. You said it well. I like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and it really is. It, it was God that led my family uh, to safety, at least on my side. My, um, my husband's family, they grew up, uh, you know, in an atheist um, environment and that's what they knew. Um, whereas my family were all religious believers, very devout and, and, they wanted to maintain that freedom of thought. And even though my husband's family were, were atheists, they, they also wanted to have freedom of thought and freedom of belief. And even though they weren't religious believers, they still felt that they, as, a, as human beings, they wanted that. Whereas my family were, were very clear, and, and I'm, I'm sure they were led by God to, through really very dangerous situations to, to survive what they, what they did. And that, that suffering, you know, as much as we all want to avoid suffering, it, it does make us stronger when we come through the other end. And I think in our modern society, 
we, we keep trying to negate our suffering and make ourselves more and more comfortable. But then we find that life becomes harder to live because we're always trying to numb the suffering. But I think there is a lot of virtue um, that comes and, and growth that comes from, comes from that suffering. And I see that from my family, uh, what they've been through. And certainly Australia hadn't been, hasn't been through any wars on the, uh, on, in, in the, in the nation and, and our generations here in, in the US, what have we, what have we experienced? So I think we, we can, um, many of us just get a bit too comfortable and, um, and it gets harder to look at people who are suffering and want to help them if you haven't had that experience of suffering um, or only see suffering as a, as a negative. But I think a lot of people of faith really see suffering as, as something. There is a long-term plan if you really trust the Lord's plan. And, and that's something I think we need to keep reminding each other. Exactly. You know, we can see that if you don't exercise, if you don't move around, if you don't pay attention to what goes into your body, you can become flabby and sick. And I do believe that your warning is an important one, not because um, people look to be under tyranny, but if that's all you've known or you've been led to believe that it's okay, you know, one of the things I focus on um, with the people I interview and the podcast in general is the appreciation of truth. What is true? Because there is an absolute truth and that comes to us from the scripture, but Every regime, every society that seeks to dominate other people are really trying to appropriate the things of God. So they want to become God in the lives of those people. And um, maybe you can speak a little bit more to the situation in China. If there has not been a foundation of biblical Christianity People still yearn for freedom, but they don't understand that truth and liberty come from God, and we need to do it on God's terms. Yes, this is a fundamental issue that we, we really need to, I find that people, we really need to talk about and, and, and really have discussions about. And my understanding and what I found through my research is I've interviewed more than a 100 survivors of communism from different regimes. And my pr primary research has been uh, on those who have come from China, but I have also interviewed those from other regimes too. And the comparison is very quite, it, it, there's, a, there's a very clear line. Those who grew up in countries that had um, some level of freedom, uh, what we would exp what we would call freedom, uh, freedom to uh, freedom to uh, religious freedom, freedom of thought, uh, freedom to run a business, for example, those basic those basic human rights. Uh, what we see as human rights, people who grew up, say, so like my family from Russia, they knew a world before that communist tyranny came in. So once they relocated to another place, um, they were able to hold on to that original culture that they had. They kept their faith. They kept their culture. I was so, so blessed to grow up in a family that uh, brought that culture to even to Australia. And we would celebrate all of the um, traditional Russian and holidays and, and uh, uh, ev all, all of the events through the church as well. And, and it was just something that I, I just felt I was um, exposed to a very rich culture and it was the culture prior to the Soviet communist culture. So my family were able to adjust. They found freedom and, and it was hard because 
once you find freedom, I find that those people have to forget tyranny because it's too hard to live in in those memories of tyranny all the time. So you have to put it in a box generally and, and, and put it away for now. But but it's there and you, you know your experiences, um, but you can adjust to, to freedom. But people from China, now the Communist Party has been there for decades. It's Well, it's actually been established for 100 years now, been in power for about 70 um, during that time, we've seen generations grow up only under communism and they know nothing else. And that is the impact on their um, sociology, the way they think, their psychology. It's very different to those who experienced freedom before. And so because they didn't have any exposure to faith, to God, to any type of Maybe through grandparents in China, there, there are traditional beliefs that have been passed down for thousands of years, but they were wiped out during the Cultural Revolution. So prior to the Cultural Revolution in, in China, there were still memories of traditional Chinese beliefs and, and belief in God. But after the Cultural Revolution, they, that it was no longer, you were no longer allowed to have that faith. And so everything became, as you said, under the, the, the human beings, the communist members, leaders wanting to play God over, over the people. So God got moved by human beings to a position below the, the communist party. And that's what these people have grown up under. And I've interviewed so many of them from all different age brackets. And what, what shocked me, um, and I was really surprised was that so many of them, I was surprised at what a high percentage moved to America because they, they, they say they want freedom. And I'm talking uh, anywhere from students to the elderly. I've interviewed all of them. And they ended up going back to China because they got here and they couldn't understand our freedom because they never knew it. They knew it from maybe some movies or something that they saw and they said, oh, we America has something we don't have. But when they get here, they're not used to being told what to think. They don't know how to understand this concept of freedom where uh, one, one man said to me, uh, and I, I talk about this particular account in my book, um, how he was a high-ranking official he, in, in China. He wrote speeches for high-ranking Communist Party members as well as laws for the Communist Party members. And when he came here, he watched uh, speakers at a rally outside the Capitol building in, in the US one day and he was observing and he said, they spoke without a speech. <laughs> he was absolutely flabbergasted that an official, an American official could just talk from his own, his or her own mind, his or her own heart and, and, and they, could, they could say God, they could say what they thought about any political party. And he said that's absolutely impossible, unfathomable, hard to believe um, as a Chinese citizen. And some of them stay, but many go back because they are so used to being raised under totalitarianism and being told what to think, how to think, that they have a void. Um, and if they're not fortunate enough to fill it spiritually, then they go back to the party to fill that void. And that's, that's terribly sad.
terribly sad, but that's really a, a, a reality. And I've spoken to a number of Chinese Americans. They're now citizens and they're frustrated, even in their churches, that there's so many Chinese who came to escape something, but they didn't escape it in their mind. So whatever the media says here, they believe whatever they're told to do, they believe that you can't quite um, get underneath a presupposition that has been there since birth. And it's very frustrating to him because where we might get frustrated, Kay, that why don't Americans care? He's frustrated because he can't get Chinese to care. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What it is such a dilemma, isn't it? Because we, we, we think we should really um, be the ones leading that. Or, or we say, what about these, these survivors, victims of communism? They should be leading and, and guiding us or, or, or helping us stand, stand up against tyranny um, or helping us learn about how we can defend ourselves from becoming what they've become. And that's precisely why I wrote my book, because these people cannot, cannot speak for themselves. They cannot help us in that way other than by showing us what we could become and, and I'll mention another story that um, I go into detail in, in my book about, but I'll just mention it briefly. There was a woman who was doing translation for us for an interview, and she was in that. In, it was a very long interview. We did, we did very long interviews just so the interviewees would really, um, they, don't, they don't have a lot of trust uh, in, in people, um, a, a lot of these, certainly the higher-ranking uh, Communist Party officials. So I would really try to get uh, as much time with them as I could once I got, got their trust. Um, and so one, when I was interviewing one, there was a translator who was listening in the other room and doing simultaneous translation for me. And so she heard a very long conversation. And when she came out, she was shaking. And she said, Kay, you're talking about the Chinese Communist Party and and whenever I say those words in Chinese, Chinese Communist Party, she said, I feel this warmth, you know, moving in my heart, in my breast, in my soul. And she said, it's like the, the warmth of a mother and what I think about when I think of my mom. And she said, and I hate it so much. She says, I hate that feeling because I know the Communist Party has done so much harm to me and to my family and to my country. But she says, I have this feeling because that's what I, I've grown up with since birth, that I'm, I love, you know, that she, she was taught that she loves her oppressor, that she loves this tyrannical regime um, that, is, that is trying, that is essentially trying to play God on earth. And, um, and, and she, to take, for one thing, for her to recognize that, it was very profound at that moment because she realized that something had, had taken hold of her soul in a sense and she felt it and she hadn't, she'd been living outside of China for at least 20 years and then she had this realization after, during this interview and she felt something within her shift at that, at that point or maybe perhaps she felt that there was this specter of communism as Karl Marx called it, you know, a specter, an evil specter. Um, I added the evil part. He didn't call it an evil specter. Um, but taking, she perhaps felt that in her. Um, but, but I hope that also she, she felt that she was able to remove, um, 
some part of it uh, at that in that moment or, or over time she will be able to because it's very hard for them to first comprehend it within themselves, let alone to be able to speak to us about it or discern media and messages that they get because in China, under a totalitarian regime like that, without having a, a divine law, a recognized divine law above human law, being able to have that 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 faith, they they really um, all they know is the me- what comes from the media mouthpieces that are all run by the state, and and so they they're not taught to question, um, they're not taught to have discernment, uh, they're not taught to look for truth. So um, their absolute is truth is told that, that it comes from the Chinese Communist Party, but even if they know it's not true, because they you know they still see that sometimes there's just blatant lies, but they are they are told that they know they just have to accept those lies, and so they won't speak anything of it. So it's very hard for us to expect. I think we need to understand that we cannot expect them to be the champions against oppression um, or to help us champion. I mean, there, there are some articulate and, and very intelligent ones who have, I think, done a lot of soul searching and they, they exist. I've, I've interviewed a number of them and they're wonderful. Um, but there's majority of them are wonderful, but, but wonderfully unable to articulate or, or haven't found that specter that within themselves yet that they really, I, I think, need to remove and those who have have taken that next step to being able to process what they've really been through because it's very challenging. Yes, indeed. Some of my listeners may remember that a number of months ago, I had a discussion with someone who had suggested I read the book called Wild Swans. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. Okay. So it basically goes through three generations of women in China. And one of the things that struck me was how easy it was for the Chinese communists to come in and promise a better life because a lot of what had gone on in China prior to that was oppression, was people taking advantage of other people. And I I was struck by the fact that the Bible says the truth will set you free and that wisdom begins with fear of the Lord. Well, if you don't have that basis, If you think you must always do what you're told because that's the highest good, then it becomes pretty obvious why communism could take a stronghold because the people were sort of geared toward that. And yes, there were things that were bad, but it's not like the Communist Party has righted those wrongs. They just transferred the oppression from one group to themselves. Yes, and... It's interesting, you know, looking at the history of the Communist Party, it hasn't, it's a complete monopoly. It's a completely different system to what we, we know of as government in the West. And it's, it's not really run as a government. There is a government of China entity. It's called the government of China, but that is not the Communist Party. The Com- Chinese Communist Party is another entity. It has its own constitution, has its own laws, and the government has its own laws. So the, 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 the Chinese Communist Party really exists more in a parasitic type of way. That's sort of really the only analogy that I've been able to use that I feel is most accurate. Um, and, and I've, I've gained that from many learned scholars who have looked at this for decades before I was even born. And really it's, yes, if 
it does come down to I, I see the the structure within the the government and then this entity that is has monopolized the entire nation and its people but because it is it enforces atheism it enforces a uh, i mean a breakdown of the family unit so that there is nothing trying to minimize as much as possible any gap between the individual and the state and that includes uh parents uh, it, uh religious religious pastors anybody it just really removing all of that so that it, the individuals are all directly connected into this state apparatus entity which is controlling the government controlling all of the um institutions but it is above all and trying to connect directly with all of the individuals so the individual rights um are destroyed it's it's really a sort of a mechanization of human beings which is what the soviets were really seeing it and and promoting it at the time and 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 people seem to be excited by by science and oh we can we can be so productive and things which you know, nothing wrong with being productive we've we've been given these talents by the lord that i think we should of course we should use but when we remove god from our our lives uh, or forcibly remove it from the lives of a nation we end up with china and china's the 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 country example that we have where the communist party has been allowed to rule for a very long time everywhere else it has publicly fallen um but the the chinese communist party does have its does have tentacles throughout and, and but we also i think those those of you know people of faith understand that this is a this is a bigger battle than a political battle this is really a battle of good and evil as 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 in how i see it and and i think many others do who who understand that that really when you take that divine law out from society you only are left with human law and and we are flawed who is perfect who is perfect enough on 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 earth to say i i can i can rule over um i can rule over you and absolutely i think that's it, it is those human absolutes um that really get us into immense danger and and lead us on the path toward uh china's example when we lose the uh allow that sort of human absolute and and that 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 is that it's a socialist ideology of looking down on others and wanting to change mankind and really not being willing to accept the lord and and the 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 miraculous creation that each one of us are and yes. i think that's what's lost in um in china well i've heard it said that you could sum up the bible as um the war between two seeds the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent and in one sense someone might say that's very simplistic but in another sense if you know history if you know world history and if you have a biblical lens on which to view things then it becomes a lot easier to identify that instead of pursuing the dominion mandate which the bible clearly says we are that these tyrannical regimes seek to dominate and as soon as one person or one group is seeking to dominate another group that's where you have the idea of people playing god and determining for themselves what's right and wrong and 
one of the things you point out in the book that the Communist Party will always be right, even when they're wrong, because all they have to do is rewrite the history. That's exactly, that's exactly how they framed it and it's exactly what they've done. They, they rewrite history and just to, to, to prove their point. And if you look in the, the history books in China, you won't find a mention of the Tiananmen Square massacre where 10,000 students were killed. Uh, if you do find a mention, it would only be referenced as a political incident uh, so they use euphemisms. I have a, a glossary of euphemisms in the end of my book. Um, it's certainly not exhaustive, but it's um, it's a starting point to, to get us thinking because as I was um, going through writing my book, I found this really just it's, it is language that can, that guides a lot of our culture and so much so. And when the language starts to be changed, um, for the purpose by, by human beings for the purpose of controlling other human beings, you know, one, as you said, one group trying to dominate another. When, when language is used, then it, it also changes history. And that, that's really dangerous. I get really concerned when uh, dictionary definitions are, for example, being changed or seemingly random or, or, or without explanation or, uh, institutions that we look to and, and, and if they're changing or rewriting history, then we, we really are in a, um, it's something that we need to pay attention to because it, it is, it's, to me, it relates to that concept of looking down and thinking, I am better. I, I know better than you. And that includes knowing better than history, knowing better than the past, knowing better than our elders, because that's what the communist socialist ideology does is that by breaking down the family, a, a one tool that they use is by saying that the children should guide the adults. And it's, of course, not to say that children aren't wonderful human beings that have wonderful creativity and, uh, and ideas. And I learned so much from my children, uh, but I learn so much more from my elders and the respect uh, for the elders is uh, as, as essential as the respect for history. And so in rewriting history, we are disrespecting our elders, we're disrespecting our ancestors just at a human level, and we're giving free reign to our children and saying what we've done doesn't matter, only what matters is right now for you and what you do doesn't really matter either. So it perpetuates a very focused short-term thinking, which is connected to our, our technology is also um, it, it making that expand further where we just have this short-term thinking of, well, I won't read a book. I'll just scan, scroll something on my phone. I don't know the source, but it doesn't matter. Um, whereas the communist ideology, the, the strategists behind that, those who want to uh, really play God and, and take control over large groups of people through tyranny. They are thinking very long term. If you look at China, they have just, Xi Jinping announced that they have just completed last year. He announced that they completed their first hundred years of socialization and they're looking forward to the next hundred years to becoming a very strong socialist country. So, they are thinking very, very long term and tyrannical rulers love it when individuals think short term 
because then they'll forget history, they'll forget the past, they'll forget their faith, and they'll forget God. And then they can be completely controlled at the whim of any tyrannical leader who who thinks that they um, deserve that position. That's a, that's a very scary situation. And just so people don't think, well, okay, yeah, that's happening there. We're now fighting over the definition of inflation, recession, uh-huh. gender, morality, terrorism. So Woman. don't think it can't happen here. The reality is it is happening here. And part and parcel of that is that long-term goal you mentioned of positioning themselves in universities, in the media, in aspects of government. And one of the bugaboos I have with young people that I'm in touch with, I'll say, what book have you read recently? And they're like, "Uh, I don't really read books. And it's like, okay, you're very easily moldable if you won't read books. I'm not saying which books you need to read, but if you read a wide variety of books, you'll get a sense that there are different perspectives on events And you need a lens with which to view these episodes. Now, of course, as a Christian, I believe the lens should be the word of God, but there's still everybody's going to have a lens. Don't you agree, Kay? Absolutely. And I think you you need to have your foundation and, and, and I think youth will, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll search and they'll come, they'll, they'll look at different things, which is, which is great, but you need that lens. You need that something and and i think everyone is going to go through that that searching process but once you have that lens and, and this is what i try to uh teach my children is that you don't need to be afraid of society once you have that lens because you can be discerning you can um you know there's this certainly there's a lot of movies that i i <laughs> I won't allow my, my kids to watch until they're a bit older, uh, or until that, you know, they're own, they're, um, old enough to make their own decisions as adults. But if there's certain movies that, um, I'll go and watch it with them. I'll say, you, you really want to watch that? Okay. Let's watch it together. Then let's talk about it. And I want to keep that open dialogue with them so that we can, so I feel that they are more prepared. For society, because if we don't expose ourselves to the reality of the world, and and not in any way that it's harmful, we have to have the lens, the lens of knowing that even if it's just that basic sense, knowing that well, knowing that there's a God. I mean, just just that basic sense, knowing where our where we come from. Uh, it seems in, in some ways it's just for some people that's, that's even just that is a, is a big stretch these days, which is, um, which is a scary reality. But, um, I think as people of faith, we, we don't, we just don't need to have fear. And that's, that's always a challenge. But if we can just have that trust in God, then it just gives so much reassurance that if we see something, because we can't always prepare, we can't always, we can't guarantee what our kids are going to see when we're not there. And we need, I, I feel like I need, I need them to be able to prepare, be prepared themselves and also be willing and open to, to come and talk to me and know that they can um, have an open discussion with me. And we, we may not always agree on things, but uh, we can talk about things and yes. having, yeah. And having access to, 
books and movies, especially books, because you sit with that book, you turn the pages. It's very, you, you know that you trust that author enough to give them your time. Right. And, and, and they've put a lot of time into that book. It's different to just reading an article online where you don't really know the source. And did they research that themselves? You just don't know. So exactly. you could be being duped. Yeah. Well, the Bible says wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And I think a corollary could be tyranny begins with a fear of man. And when you have been raised, as I know a lot of the communist Chinese officials that you interview in the book, when you've been raised to know that the party is everything and there could be spies everywhere and you better be careful because even if you're not so concerned about what happens to you, things could happen to your family. But it's a whole different thing when people are afraid of other people as potential spies, potential informants. You have a society that gets used to keeping their innermost thoughts between their ears rather than discussing them. Oh, this is one of the most devastating parts. Um was was this concept because for us we think of i mean i think of spies as in the james bond movie or you know um mission impossible or something like that but uh in in china anyone anyone could be watching you anyone could turn you in there are people who are who are paid to watch and and those things but the the concept is now the surveillance with technology uh the the amount of surveillance and money that the chinese communist party is spending on their dominating their own citizens is more than they're spending on their military so people tell me oh we're afraid of war with china and and that i i i remind them i'm not saying don't be afraid of war with china i'm saying China, the CCP is spending more money trying to control their own citizens than they are to on their own military. So the amount of surveillance there just shows what they have to do to control the human spirit. It is so much pressure for them. And they put that on themselves and then they impose that on the nation and on the individuals. And then everyone gets sucked up into this system where every rank from top to bottom is having to watch others and uh, assess, monitor them according to the party directives, and they know they're being watched too. And when you, you don't have that, like you said that, I, I like the concept you said, you know, they, they can only discuss it between their ears. Many of these officials are afraid to do that too because it could just come out. It could be seen. It could be seen in their eyes, the way they look at someone, the way they um, respond with a glance or a, a gesture. That could be interpreted. So they don't even want to have that conversation in their minds. Now, there are there is a movement, though, so this is a hopeful element. Uh, there is people have been quitting the Communist Party. And... I see that really as a step toward a step toward spirituality, faith, God, finding God, because they are removing the specter from their soul in a sense. And, and I think that's really quite real. And that gives me a lot of hope. Um, a number of the officials that I interviewed had 
quit the Communist Party and they said that helped them a lot. And so that was very inspiring to see that they were looking at it more from a spiritual aspect because others had said to me, what quitting the party, what does it mean? It's just a membership. Uh, but that was people more here in, in America, whereas those from China who were more spiritually inclined or had, had really taken that step toward faith they saw that it was significant in almost remove in an attempt to remove the mark of the beast in a way and that i thought was very encouraging because it allows them to think uh beyond their ears and take that step of actually doing something that will hopefully allow them to have a conversation with another human being about what they've been through and give them that um courage to eventually find find the lord and find a way beyond you know just just outside of the the, the tyranny of man and and to get out of that fear of man as you as you put it right you know the book of romans tells us that all have a conscience and we do know right and wrong we we, we would intrinsically know stealing is wrong and i like to point out that's why when children take the cookie or do something, they hide it. They, they know it's wrong. They don't go advertise, look what I just did. But what happens is that sinful man suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. And with these Chinese Communist Party former officials, it seems as though as much as they try to suppress the truth, somehow or other, the truth kept bubbling up and they were forced to look at it somewhat like that translator who had to come to the realization, I'm conflicted. My head says one thing, but my emotions say something else, and they're out of sync with each other. So I think having a less seared conscience produces courage, and I think that's what your book, when we hear these officials who had done some pretty dastardly things talk about it, and and I, I was really struck, Kay, with the fact that they couldn't understand your questions at that point because it was like you were both from different planets or something. <laughs> right. But they were they had conscience attacks. And that's what precipitated them saying, I can't do this anymore. And it's those conscience attacks that reminds me that. You know, we're all human beings. We're all made in the image of God. We may be of different nations, different skin color, different races, different speak a different language, but we have that commonality. We've, we've been blessed to be born on this earth right now. And, and even though, yes, sitting in the room with those, um, mostly gentlemen, most of these officials were, were men. And, um, and, and so sitting, sitting with them and, them looking at me as a young white woman and and speaking who who spoke english and needed a translator and um they, yes they they were, it really felt like we were on another planet sometimes but I, I i felt the best way that i could um gain their trust was i had to find um i had to be open to uh i guess because i i feel i i have my own lens where I'm not afraid of hearing their truth, though what they told me was not what I expected. I expected from the the labor camp, the the, the man who ran multiple labor camps, prison camps in China, um, I expected him to 
describe prison as as like a some sort of dirty place that where they did terrible things and 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 people who came through there i you know all my concepts he didn't talk at all like that and this was what blew me away is that it it opened my eyes to see my fellow human beings um more in a way that I, I I hope that I can continue to do so where I'm looking more at their hearts, more at our commonality, more for the um, the truth rather than being uh, pushed and pulled by concepts, human concepts and notions of like this person's like this, this person's like that. And I, I give them give them some time and we did find common ground and that was a really beautiful thing. And for pretty much all of them, we we by the end of the interview, I, I'd gained their trust and and we'd build a nice relationship. Um, it wasn't like that at the beginning of many of the interviews, but it, it pretty much all of them ended that way. So I felt that we'd both come to some different understandings of each other, and that gave me a lot of hope that within our humanness, we are able to really put out a helping hand to people like this in need, but also learn from them. Um, while through our own lenses, we can keep ourselves protected and be able to not be consumed by the specter that, that they succumb to because they, they didn't have faith when the communist party, when, when they just grew up under the communist party, born under that, under that party without God under an atheist, atheist state. So we are the ones that have, that blessing and if they're able to find it i think we should encourage them and i think they really do need our encouragement and they may seem like they're really from another planet yes right (laughs) but we have common ground but i think it is um on us to have a bigger heart to uh, help these people well if you take a look at the world as it existed after the death resurrection and ascension of christ probably looked a whole lot more like communist China than it looks like freedom and liberty. So obviously there is something that transforms people. And I believe it's the truth embodied, you know, Jesus Christ is the truth, but talk a little bit about how they view truth and the necessity of lies to bolster the propaganda that these former officials shared with you. Yes. The, um, uh, there's a quote from Lenin who, uh, from Soviet Russian times, uh, truth should be, is precious. It should be rationed. I, I may not have quoted that, um, precisely, but they, this, this is the concept of those who, uh, the, the strategists and Lenin was, was a strategist who, who like what has happened in China is looking down on society and wanting to play God and saying that I will ration the truth for you because it's a precious resource and not everyone deserves the truth, which is entirely different to what, how we see the truth. So it's, it's when, you, when you try and look at it from try and understand what Lenin was saying, then it's a bit easier to understand how in China, because the Chinese Communist Party still reveres and, and teaches and um, requires all of its officials um, and members to study Marx, Karl Marx, and Lenin. They call it Marxist Leninism, um, Marxism Leninism. So they have to study that. And so they're being taught that truth is 
not absolute at the lower levels, but at the higher levels, it is, it does exist, but you can't give it to people. You can't let them have it because it's this concept of you, they are not worthy. They are not worthy of the truth. Thinking about us, just regular, regular people that, that they are not worthy. And that once you get into this elite membership of the communist party, then you are inducted in a way to, um, to, to think that others are, they're just not as smart as you. They're not as lucky as you. They're not as privileged as you. And they don't know any better. So we are the ones that have to guide them. This, this is sort of the socialist ideology. Same thing that permeated Russia um, under, under the Soviet rule. So their concept of truth is we'll decide what we give you. And it doesn't matter if you really know the truth because we are the ones who, who make the decisions. You're just not smart enough and you're not worthy enough. That's the concept. And to me, that it's really treating human fellow human beings as animals, classing them into groups and de- dehumanizing them, which is how their persecutions have, have taken place, uh, particularly in China, by dehumanizing groups to a point where other citizens look at a group of, of people and they'll say, yeah, that it's okay if they don't live. It's okay if they're tortured. It's justified. And that is so far away for so many of us to think that I, I could never be like that. I could never justify harming a fellow human being or justifying torture or brutality or murder or, as in one of my documentaries, the killing of prisoners of innocent prisoners of conscience for the sale of their organs. You know, you know these are heinous crimes. And, and we saw what happened in, in Nazi Germany, heinous crimes where the, the, a population became dehumanized. And that's when the people outside in society look and they start to accept that because they're accepting the communist party law instead of divine law where, you know, all, all men created by God. So yes. that, that's a, a, a significant, to me, it's the most fundamental difference um, and how they're thinking and how they use truth. And they, I go into a lot of different examples in my book about how uh, journalism and I, I do journalists and propagandists and how they use truth and they twist and turn it and everything. But I, I that fun, fundamentally, it is, it is that, that lack, of, lack of belief in God. Yes. And, you know, I'm not sure how I would have reacted to this book had I not just experienced the last two and a half years of COVID propaganda and masks and vaccines and distancing and all that sort of stuff um, to realize that these tactics, this strategy um, can appear in different forms. But if the one thing you're not allowed to do is ask questions and by asking a question, you're automatically wrong. That's the kind of thing where I think that people who reeled against this idea that, wait, I have to stay in my house. You, I can't go out. I have to close my business. That this is the sort of thing that they'll understand better because maybe prior to these last two and a half years, they had never experienced it before. It's very true. And for me, um, I, I've met with some really wonderful uh, new friends in the last last two years, people who have um, seen this happening and been really shocked. And some of them have said, so when did you wake up to this, Kay? And I said, well, I've been working on this for more than 20 years. 
and right. and when I came to my realization, I realized that so much I didn't I didn't know, and it, and it and it because it was in my family, and my family didn't talk about it, and then I had to I had to have my own process, and I found that with everyone, we we're all we're all coming to um, see these examples around us now, and it's it, it really starts to I find it starts to shake you at the core where where you you really question your values. And I see it as an opportunity for everyone to reconnect with the Lord and, and think, you know, really need to reflect and think about where you put your faith, um, where, which law do you really follow? I mean, we should be law abiding citizens. Um, but where is the ultimate law? And, exactly. and that to me is, is fundamentally important. And so when I first, um, I had done these interviews for uh, more than seven. I started them seven years ago. And when I published in 2020, I, I had sat on these interviews for five years and I didn't want to publish them because I felt that, yes, it would be hard for people to understand. And certainly in America, um, because the culture under communist culture, it, the ideology was too far away and it was hard for people to recognize what was going on around them. I was more aware of it because I'd been studying it. Um, and so I thought, how do I present this information? But when I saw what happened in 2020 and, I, and, and the subsequent, everything that happened with COVID and we saw that the lies came from um, the, the Chinese Communist Party lied about the virus and, and was never held accountable. And, and we saw that so many countries, including our own, started to follow the CCP's methods of lockdowns um, in very strict um, totalitarian type um, procedures and policies, then I really felt I, I, this is the hope because from the, the, the Chinese Communist Party officials, many of them are very broken. And I thought, I, I don't want to just tell stories that, have, uh, that leave people of, of, about broken people. I, I want to give people some hope. That's sort of a requirement I have in my own work. And, um, and I saw with what was happening in America, I saw some hope because I felt we can learn from these people. Yes. We can learn from China, and this is an opportunity we have. Um, China is the best, worst example we have of uh, where a country can go under a, a godless um, society uh, controlled by uh, social ideology, the specter of, of communism or socialism. So that's that's why I published this book, and I and I the reception has been very good to it, and and I think it's because people are more aware. I have had criticisms from people saying, "Oh, I, I do like reading about China, but I don't see the um, totalitarianism or the tyranny uh, seeping into the West as as um, as I do reference." I didn't go too hard on that in in my book because I wanted it to be open to all sides of of politics. But uh, I wanted to focus on the facts. I wanted to focus on the truth as I saw it through my lens. And, and yes, and since then, more and more people have woken up to this and have said, now I'm ready to look at China as an example, whereas before we just weren't ready. We, we didn't know uh, what danger we were in. But, but this country is in danger. And, and I think um, there's, there's always hope because we have, we have our faith. So we... we but we have to maintain it. Exactly. And that's, that's, that is the absolute key to everything. So I'm going to mention these now. I'll mention them again at the end. Uh, the two documentaries that I think are very worth everyone's time. The first one, Hard to Believe, which is about the organ harvesting and then the sale of 
um, organs of political prisoners who can be rallied up very easily and, I mean, gathered up very easily and, and put in prison without trial, without really any substantial accusation, and that there's actually a uh, transplant tourism industry where people can actually go to China and schedule their heart transplant on a particular day. And as one of the people in the documentary said, how can you schedule it for a particular day unless they know that someone's heart's going to be available that day? So that's the documentary, Hard to Believe. And then your second documentary, Finding Courage, is about a family that has worked relentlessly to get the truth revealed about their sister's death as a political prisoner in China. And then, of course, the book that we've been talking about, Who Are China's Walking Dead? I just wanted to make that plug and we'll, we'll mention it again at the end. But there are three aspects of the book that were very telling for me, and I would like you to explain them because it gives, I think it will give people a sense of what you're dealing with. So the first one is the story about the sparrows. Um, people are very familiar with famines in China, and there have been all sorts of reasons why there was the famine, etc. because, of course, truth is concealed. Tell the story about the sparrows. Yes, I like this story as much as it's a crazy story, but I like this story because when you, when you think about the sparrows, it's easier to think about than if you were to think of this story as being about human beings, um, which is, is how the, the communist, Chinese Communist Party ha- does treat human beings. But the sparrows is a good example. And my father was there during that time in China. So in China, uh, Mao Zedong was ruling uh, the nation and he, he enacted many policies that caused great damage. One was the time when I called it the sparrow side and the, the you know, a genocide of, of, of sparrows, which seems ridiculous. And, and one of my interviewees told me about that. And I, my father hadn't talked about that though. He had told me that they had had to eat sparrows sometimes when they didn't have enough food, which I thought was kind of strange. Um, but he didn't tell me more, but this, one of my interviewees told me, he said, we had to kill all of the sparrows. Remember that? And I'm looking at him thinking, no, I, I don't remember that. I was not alive in the 1950s. This was the late 1950s. And, um, and I was never taught that in school. And so I, 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 I fact check everything very carefully. And I, I went and I fact check his story. And I find out that I didn't know this is one of, this is probably the worst environmental disaster in history. And we're not taught about it. And this is where Mao Zedong decided that all the sparrows had to be killed. Um, now, why? Tell, why? Why did they have to be killed? Why? Because they were labeled pests, because they eat bugs and that they also eat rice. So they were damaging some of the rice harvests, not to, not to a very bad extent. I mean, human beings have always lived with birds and 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 that they have dual purpose yes they eat they eat bugs and they actually prevent damage to harvest but they do also eat some of the grains so but Mao Zedong decided it's let's we needed another political campaign so it works at different levels you know on the surface it makes no sense at another level well okay yes we want to increase our rice 
harvest, our rice crops. So let's let's destroy uh, uh, something that eats it, uh, that is reducing our rice crops a little bit each year. Okay, so the sparrows. And then at another level, it's a political campaign. And it's this concept of struggle, which the Chinese Communist, well, the Communist Party in general has, where you split a group, a society into two groups, and they fight against each other. And when it's humans against sparrows, well, the humans won. And so I found all this footage. Um, there was video cameras, uh, black and white, that had documented this. There was plenty of photos throughout the country of China that, and, and I watched young Chinese families and children and elderly were killing sparrows. They, you know, they didn't, they, some had guns, but others, they would use brooms. And, and not let the sparrows rest on any branches. So they would chase the sparrows around relentlessly all day. This was what they had to do. And this happened nationwide. It sounds so crazy, but I, I saw all the video footage about it. And, and, and these, these poor little birds would drop dead on the ground from exhaustion. And so then the, all the um, citizens would gather them up and they made like long braids from these dead birds and they would take them to communist party officials who had tables where they would count them up and so that they could report back to the central government that they were doing a good job for their sparrow killing campaign. And then they were taken away on these big, um, I, I watched these big trucks full of mounds high, feet high of dead sparrows. And the next year, after this sparrow side, there were no sparrows. Well, I mean, it's estimated that billions were killed. And the, the bugs that the sparrows normally eat killed the crops. And th there were other policies in place as well at the same time that, that helped with this, um, creating this famine. But killing the sparrows played a, a big role in this. Um, because the bugs came and destroyed the crops. I mean, this is, this is how Mother Nature works. And then that led to the great, they call it the great famine, but it's in no way is it great other than it killed an estimated 45 million people. You think about that, 45 million people killed within two or three years. And, and my, that's when my family escaped. And if they had stayed, would they have survived the famine? I don't know. They were very, very fortunate that they had church members that helped them get out through Hong Kong. So um, that I call that the sparrow side. And this, this is this is how they treat animals. And the the Communist Party treats human beings not much better than animals when they want to run a political campaign to instill fear, to instill terror and uh, to, to remove belief in anything else other than the party. So, yeah, I found that story um, a, a good way to kind of, a good example of how the, how the regime operates and a little bit easier to take than some of their human killing campaigns. Yes. And again, I won't, you know, editorialize on this, but I think people can see similarities between what's happened in the past couple of years and the killing of sparrows. Um, it'd be nice to say that they meant well, but even if they meant well with the mindset that they had, there are always going to be unintended consequences. And I think that's the value of learning from the sparrow story because 
everybody did it. They, you know, we're going to go kill the sparrows without thinking, okay, so what will the net effect be of no sparrows? Okay, the second thing I'd like to talk about is this expression that comes up somewhat frequently in your book about exposing bone. And this was a new concept for me. The first time you bring it up, I'm like, what is she talking about? But then the more you explained it, I realized that uh, I've seen things like this in my own life. So explain a little bit what exposing bone means. (laughs) Yes, it is where it may be where someone may think of, uh, you know, in the, in the past women would keep their skirt below the knee. Didn't want to show too much skin. Um, It could be seen as you're revealing too much. And so with, with women, it may be being flirtatious, but these, this exposing bone concept came from a mostly male um, Chinese communist party officials. And so you had to keep, you have to keep the truth hidden you cannot reveal your true motives. You cannot, it does come back to the truth. This whole concept of truth is that the bone is, is the reality. It's what's essentially keeping your body together, but you don't want to show it. And as someone may put on a, a fancy coat um, to give the impression of wealth or a different status or to, to change their um, visual you know, perception that people have of them, the exposing bone could be something that the Chinese use it in. You may, it's also with language. You don't want to expose bone. And they have these amazing sayings. And this is where so many people had, had said to me when they watched my movie, Finding Courage, they saw that I had some of interviews from these Chinese Communist Party officials in the movie, but only a few minutes. And they said, I, I really like I want to know more about those guys. They seem very interesting. I haven't heard from people like that before. Why don't you tell their stories in a movie? I said, I cannot. It's, it's, it's like that. They would, they would say, they would say, one of them might say a sentence with exposing bone in it. And then uh, that term, and I'm thinking, wow, what does that mean? And then, and then within a moment, he's talking about something different because to him, exposing bone, they, they've been talking about that all their, it's a, it's a term that they use all their lives to, instead of, it's a form of use, euphemism, instead of saying, don't tell the truth or don't let anyone see the bone, don't let them see the truth. That would, that could get you into trouble. Uh, that's essentially what it means. So, um, these officials told me so many terms like this that if I, tried to put that into a movie, no one would be able to watch it because you really couldn't <laughs> understand what they were saying. And I had to take each sentence of what they s- said. And my reaction was exactly as yours. My first reaction to them was, what on earth is he talking about? Um, until I started to unpack it. And that's why I felt, okay, I have to write this as a book because books allow that opportunity where visuals don't. Um, because you can't always this type of how do you how do you explain the exposing bone concept in a video um, or or a movie? It's it's very challenging. So yes, it's it's that those concepts that they have and the euphemisms they use to hide the truth and to talk about the truth without saying the truth. That's what these all these terms mean. And I, I do come back to that sort of concept a lot in the book, where I have to break down the terms they use because. They cannot talk in normal language anymore. 
especially the officials, those in that, that high-ranking officialdom, they just cannot talk in normal language. They've been conditioned to talk in this kind of double double think or double speak if, if uh, you've ever read George Orwell's 1984, which I hope more, more people have. Um, that, that's, it's, that's really the language that they've been trained um, to think and operate in, and that's a good example of it. Right. I think, though, what you get from these interviews and such that these people have gone from being the walking dead, which is their term. You didn't make that term up to being the walking wounded. Now, at least they know they're wounded. I don't think before they necessarily knew that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, I I really didn't like the term walking dead um, because to call any, any human being walking dead uh, in a negative sense would put me, if I was to look down on someone and call them the walking dead in a derogatory way, then I feel, you know, how am I better than those wanting to, um, these socialist strategists who want to put, you know, gain control and dominion over, over another group of, of human beings. So I see that term as because they are the ones who gave me that term. They have used this themselves and it has come historically uh it was more than 50 years ago that there was a uh, a well-known chinese scholar who escaped communism and he went to hong kong and he watched and and he just knew if he stayed in china he would become the walking dead and he said this is where where the country is going and their translation was not quite walking dead it was um uh soulless body flesh uh soulless flesh walking flesh um, and, and I asked the translator, can I use the term work, walking dead? Because the other words you're giving me are not going to translate at all to, to an American audience. I don't get it. She said, yes, walking dead is, um, is, is accurate, though it's not a literal translation. Okay. So to close this up, this is the final thing I want to talk about. So we get this view of the CCP as being brutal, can do whatever they want, why is it that they imprison dissenters, being it Christians or missionaries or even people of other religious persuasions like the Falun Gong, which are Buddhist in their orientation? You would think it'd just be easy to just get rid of them. Why do they spend time and effort trying to dislodge them from their religious beliefs? I think there's two main reasons. One is that history still exists. No matter how much they try to wipe it out and rewrite it, it still exists in us as human beings. And that is, uh, I, I think that's absolutely a God-given uh, trait of that we have. We remember. We have memories and we are able to speak and pass those memories down to our children. And so it is so hard for the any any tyrannical regime to remove those memories from people because if if you kill somebody they what they've learned is especially through the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre where 10,000 students an estimated 10,000 students were, were killed on the square by the CCP they learned that the, the the public because that went international there was international journalists there they they saw this the whole world saw that footage that that destruction um the murder they they realized that's just too messy and this is why the 
communist strategists and they don't want that bloodshed. One is the optics are bad because people will talk about it. Um, and, but the people also remember and, and there will be people who will want revenge, uh, for their family member that's, that's, that's been mur- murdered or, re- or wrongfully imprisoned or tortured. Um, so how do you change that? Well, I mean, psychologically, there's, there's on, on a small scale, you look at uh, people who abuse someone else. There's a Stockholm syndrome where a, a victim will come to love or, or justify or understand the abuse that they receive. And then they start to accept that and they start to accept the reality that their abuser, uh, imposes on them, even if it means, uh, re- replacing their faith. They, they, they take on that, that the faith of their abuser. And so on a large scale, um, it's not unlike what's happened in China, where the Communist Party over decades through generations has been able to rewrite the memories and the, the love within people's hearts, um, within the youth, um, so much so that they often equate the, they've been taught to equate the Communist Party with the love for their mother. And, and that's, that is a long-term goal. To just kill a dissident um, creates anger and hatred and, 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 and optics, bloody optics that are hard to, hard to clean up publicly. But a long-term goal is to change people's minds, replace institutions with the state, and that's what we um, face today. We are not looking at uh, the bloody massacres of the sparrows and of the, the students on Tiananmen Square. We are looking at uh, cultural infiltration, um, subversion, and all of these communist tactics that have been used since, since the time. I mean, Marx, Karl Marx talked about um, his goals and, and those those goals are still embedded within these goals here, but just the, the, the tactics change. And that's what we are facing. And that's why they don't just kill people. They want to destroy their, their spirit and, and break them so that they will come to love the party. Because if, if they just die, then they're almost a martyr, really. Uh, I mean, th- there are people that have died for their faith and they have not succumbed to the, the communist party. They, they put God above the party and they stood for that. And that sent shockwaves. I've interviewed many survivors like this where their faith, their memory has revived other people's faith around them and sent shockwaves throughout the, their communities where people see that their, their, their strength and their conviction and, and faith in God was greater than the party and the party cannot stand that if it is an evil specter as i believe it is then um it it is very jealous of 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 god and is trying to destroy people's faith so it would only have faith in it but when we cannot be destroyed when our faith cannot be destroyed then ultimately the specter will lose that's that's how i see it exactly and they use words euphemistic words like transformation we've got to transform this person who believes in Jesus Christ, let's say, into someone who realized that the com- the Chinese Communist Party is where your faith should lie. So we're familiar with, with words like brainwashing, which was probably a poor translation. Thought reform is probably a better translation. But I think it's a testimony to that 
the truth does set you free. So they have to suppress the truth. Um, they don't have to suppress consumerism. They don't have to suppress materialism because that feeds into how they keep a hold on their people. But they have to suppress something that says there's a higher law than the law of individuals or the state. Exactly right. And that's why we see in China, we see shiny buildings and and, and glittering skylines at night. And, and we see that people have become rich and, uh, and wealthy. And, um, that consumerism has been driven by the party. And, and people have said to me, well, but see, the Communist Party is different to the time of former communist leaders. Um, the party has changed. And, and I, I can easily say you've been duped if you think that. Um, that's exactly what they want you to think that the party has not changed its constitution, it has not changed its goals or directives. It just changes a different tactic, a different strategy. It gives you, uh, it, it gives you some pleasure on the, on the surface, it makes you, uh, forget about some of your suffering because maybe you've got a fancy car now. Um, you won't care that, uh, you're no longer allowed to go to church. But if that's, if that's where you put your values, then, um, that, that's, that's the dangerous situation because if, if you're prioritizing uh, being wealthy over being humanly wealthy monetarily in this world as opposed to being spiritually wealthy, then um, that's, that's where I think our, our priorities are wrong and, exactly. yeah. and people not looking at China in, in that sense. And I, I think we need to be looking at everywhere in that sense, especially within our own hearts and, and just remembering that where do we put our, where do we put our priorities? And the other thing you point out, and I can't remember, can't remember now whether it was in one of the documentaries of the book, because like I said, I did a deep dive, but a lot of the prison labor camps on the outside look like regular buildings. They might be labeled drug rehabilitation centers, but Americans and specifically people with a conscience that says this is awful. We have to understand that when something is made in China, it might be being made by someone who is imprisoned because of their religious or political beliefs. So we don't want to be accomplices. And the more we know allows us not to be bystanders who I believe God will hold liable. You know, your book takes the curtain away and now people will have the opportunity to say, I saw it. What's my responsibility now? Or I'll pretend I didn't see it. Yes. And that, that takes courage, I think, because um, it's easier for us just to pretend we didn't see it. But in, we have a global world now. We've seen what happened with COVID. We saw what, what happened with the virus being spread around the world and China lying point blank about it and that causing all these lockdowns for us and the, the complete change of lifestyle um, and freedom for us here in the West. So that's when, that's when we realize, um, I, I think it just becomes crystal clear that if we had really taken the Chinese Communist Party's crimes seriously before, then this would not have happened. And uh, I did an interview with a, 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 a human rights lawyer um, who was in one of our, uh, in, the, in the movie Hard to Believe, and he said that, look, if we had really um, chain, done something about the crimes of the Communist Party, then we would never have allowed this to happen. And I really think he's right because 
The crimes of communism have never been tried. They've never been brought before a jury. They've never been held accountable. And yet the biggest mass murderers in our history are the communist rulers, specifically the Chinese Communist Party, Soviet um, uh, communist leaders not too far behind. And we are not taught about that in school. We are not taught uh, about the crimes. And that, I think, is the is a serious problem that we have to address. And we also need to question why. Because if we knew that, we would be doing things very differently because we would not be interacting with um, business in China in the same way. And I know so many businesses that have, they've lost a lot of money and intellectual property to China because they thought they could save a few bucks. That again, that short-term thinking that the communists want us to have instead of long-term thinking, we want to save a few bucks, go to China, um, make our uh, businesses there and then um, sell it back to Americans over here while we lose jobs for our, you know, our local communities. And at the same time, what does the CCP do? They steal the patents, intellectual property, workflow processes from those companies, create cheap knockoffs and drive those American companies out of business. And this has happened again and again. And if we really recognized that we are not dealing with a normal government in China, we are dealing with a very dangerous regime that's holding the people hostage, um, then we would really be dealing with we'd be doing things very differently and we wouldn't be selling out for a short few few dollars here and there we'd be putting more effort on our local communities and our families and our faith here in the u.s rather than just selling out to to china and i hope that my book can give a little bit of insight into that and help people see that they they can do things in small ways you don't have to become a an activist or anything like that but you can start to look at where is this made? And if it's not bought in China, uh, if, if it's made in China, you don't have to buy it. And it's, it's, you're not hurting the Chinese people by, by not supporting the regime. All the businesses in China, to survive in China, your business has to um, have some connection to the Chinese Communist Party. And I've met so many people that have come out of forced prison labour in China and they worked under horrendous conditions. They want Americans to know that we are make, they're making our products in slave labor. They do not want us to be supporting slave labor conditions. So I, I can say from personal firsthand experience that uh, with these people that by making a choice with your dollar, um, you're not actually harming the Chinese people. You are helping them because they are beholden to this evil regime. So I think this is little things that we can do, and, and I hope that that comes through in the book that um, we, we all can take some sort of responsibility, at least without uh, having a bit more long-term thinking, I hope. And I can tell you that that's the effect that your work has had on me. So I'm going to repeat the names of the documentaries, Hard to Believe, and the other is Finding Courage, and then the book, Who Are China's Walking Dead? But let's say, Kay, that's not enough, Kay Rubicek, for people, and they want more of what things you're working on now and other ways to potentially support your efforts. How can they get a hold of you? Where can they find out more about you? 
my website is the best place. It's got links to all my social media. It's got an email list. It's got an email contact form. You can get in touch with me directly there. And that is just my name, K-A-Y-Rubacek.com. And that's R-U-B-A-C-E-K. So that's where you can get me. Very good. Well, I wish you well. I know that what you do is not risk-free because very few things that are important and challenge um, evil are risk-free, but I appreciate your efforts and listeners. I hope you make use of the resources that we mentioned. And if you happen to have any questions or comments and you forget how to get a hold of Kay, you can send them along to me at out of the question podcast at gmail.com. And I'll make sure that she gets them. So again, thank you, Kay and listeners. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.